Let's begin. So we're calling the Ten Commandments, and we'll get to that. And we're going to speak a little bit about faith. What's up, Anita? Nice to see you. And but let's start off with Yisro. So if anyone's got a Chumash, or you can look online to in the Chumash itself, where it's, it's the week in Exodus. It's the Exodus of Jethro. We're going to be doing, if we laugh it up to chapter 18, verse 1, we'll start off with that. I'm glad you agree with me. Mashiach now on YouTube. Mashiach now 2020. Promise you've got to now, you've got to change your name to 2021. Because obviously it's going to be 2021. Mashiach's going to come now. So I'm afraid you have to ask Instagram to change your name if that's all right. Let's do this inside. Vayishma Yisro. So this is how the parsha begins. Let's begin. Vayishma Yisro. And Yisro heard. It says, and Yisro heard. So all you know the story. you got Moses who married Sipara. Her dad was... Jethro, Yisro, who used to be a Midianite priest. He used to be a priest in the palace of Pharaoh. And yet Yisro became really the first quintessential convert to Judaism. So any of you who is going through conversion or went through conversion, Yisro is really where it all began, Kabbalistically. In a way, that's why his name is Yisro. And one of his names was a name called Taro, just t- Tough Reish Vov, which comes to the numerical value 606, because the non-Jewish world all have the seven Noahide laws. They have seven commandments. And the Jewish people, Hashem says, we want, I need you to do more. I need you to do 613. So all the mathematicians who are watching can work out that 606 is the difference between what everybody's got to do and what the Jewish people have got to do. And that's why the first male convert is Tro, which is 606. The first female convert really is Rus, Ruth, which is also 606, because essentially what it means to convert is saying seven's not enough. And why it's Yisro with the Yud, the mystics explain, because whenever you begin something, whenever you initiate something, it comes by the ten which is connected to the Ten Sfirot, which now you can imagine is to do with the Ten Commandments, the Ten Plagues. Ten is always the magic number of initiation. If you want to bring something into this world, Hashem does it via Ten. So conversion is brought into the world with the Yud, and then Tro, 606. Now conversion begins. And the question is, what's up, Benj? The question is, why did he convert when no one else did? We just had the greatest miracle of all time, Bonan. It was crazy. We had these crazy 10 plagues going down, which were unnatural. That's the point. They were supernatural. There were ways of seeing God. And after that, after that, we had this crazy stuff where the sea literally splits. Unlike people say it was a tsunami. Even if God made a tsunami, what was super cool about it is when the Jewish people walked through it was just like a red carpet when there was a buffet on each side with great sushi, salmon sashimi, literally on your right and on your left. And then as soon as we came to the other side, Hashem closed it back up. So the Egyptian horsemen who were trying to kill us all died. So whether tsunami or not, it was definitely Hashem. And, and that's what happened. And yet there wasn't mass conversion to Judaism afterwards, which is really interesting. And the verse says, Vayishma Yisro. It was only Yisro that heard. What did he hear? The the verse says he heard about all the miracles that God did to the Jewish people. 
He heard the mirror. Nice to see you, Ricky. He, he saw the miracles that Hashem did to the Jewish people. And Rashi says in particular, the miracle of the spitting of the Red Sea and the war with Amalek. Meaning as soon as we came out of the miracle of the Red Sea, these crazy anti-Semitic Nazis, we can say that because they were Esau's grandson, who we believe rooted in Homon, the Talmud and Megillah says are rooted in the Nazis. So the, this, this crazy Nazism, anti-Semitism came straight as we came out of the Red Sea and they, they embarked on a war against us and we won that war too. And then Yisro said, that's it. And Maharal says, what was so special about those two things? And Yisro essentially said, it's so illogical that the Amalekites came and tried to fight against the Jewish people after we defeated this huge Egyptian army. It shows how irrational it is. And Yisro said, essentially, for me, seven's not enough. To keep the seven Noachai laws, that's not enough. For me, I need all of it. God forbid I don't want to join with the Amalek crew. And I want to be with the Jew crew. And he then made that decision. And by the way, what's really very beautiful is the more we're doing on Facebook and Instagram and I'm putting it on YouTube afterwards, we're getting my, my, my fellow brothers and sisters who aren't Jewish to be watching. So if any of you who, who aren't Jewish, who are watching, some of you have asked me, you know, what is Judaism? Does everyone have to be Jewish? So absolutely not. The, the, the Jewish perspective, <clears throat> and Chief Rabbi Sachs said very beautifully once on Radio 4 when he was asked that question, that actually other religions normally say you've got to convert to our religion to fulfill your destiny and to find God. Judaism doesn't say that. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu that only the Jewish people have got to keep 613 mitzvot and the rest of the world, he wants to have a relationship with everybody and love everybody. And for everybody else, it's the seven Noahite laws. So why should someone convert? If someone, maybe one of you are feeling that seven's not enough. If you're saying seven's not enough, if you're feeling in your heart of hearts, I need Shabbos. I need to do Shabbos. I want to do kosher. The guy is the thing I want to put on to fill in, right? If you're feeling that I need all 613 like Yisro felt, then you can call me up and we can see how, how, how we can help. But for most people, seven's in more than enough. Seven halavai. If only everyone who was not Jewish kept seven Noahite laws, the world would be a beautiful place, which is really what will happen when Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, you should know, by then there's no more conversion. A little tricky, if any of you who are going through conversion now, I think I saw one of you on it, a little trick question I always have is, do you want Mashiach to come now? As Mashiach now on Instagram is saying. Because if he comes now, potentially that means you can't convert anymore. Because once Mashiach's come, no more conversions. Why? Because the whole point of Mashiach coming is... It's easy. When Mashiach has come, the whole world gets truth. The whole world gets God. But to convert, you have to go through this incredible challenge. You have to be seriously challenged. And you won't be able to be challenged anymore post-Mashiach comes. So ostensibly, you won't be able to convert when Mashiach comes. So I say for those of you who are still, who are watching, who are going through conversion now, you can still say, I want Mashiach to come now, 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 which is how you should say it. And I'm sure you'll still be okay because you've already demonstrated that sincerity and that genuinity. And you've already gone through men's challenges. And I will have a word with Mashiach if he lets me. And I will say, let them in. They're cool. They're, 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 they're part of the crew. So you should still want it. But what was so magnificent about Yisro? And this is what I want to share with you. 
And, and that's why every word in the Torah is crucial. You know, the word to listen comes from the word ozen. It doesn't say he listened. It said vayishma. You see, vayishma means and he heard. He understood, which means Yisro saw the events of what was happening to the Jewish people. He intellectually saw it, but then he penetrated into his heart and his mind. And Yisro said, I need to change. That's it. This is going to change me. I'm not just going to objectively witness it and say, wow, that was so cool. Yisro saying, my life can't be the same again. There's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, which says every day there's a heavenly voice from God, which comes out to the world and speaks to all of us and tries to inspire all of us and says the Maharal, but we don't hear the voice. Wrong. Many people do hear the voice. Explains the Maharal through events in life, the coronavirus, this crazy pandemic we're in, is God speaking to us. God speaking to us, sending us messages telling us to repent, telling us to do better, telling us to care about each other, tell, t- telling us to quickly change, telling us to appreciate the present, telling us not to worry about what will be tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow is going to come anyway. So just enjoy with the now. And there's all these lessons Hashem is trying to help us learn. And tragically, perhaps we're not learning them enough. But, that, but Yisro wasn't like that. For Yisro, it was Vayishma Yisro. He saw something everyone saw, but he understood as well. And he changed his life. And that's what it means to Shema. So I'm hopefully for you, you're not just listening, you're hearing. Hopefully it's coming from my heart into your heart tonight's Torah. And it's going to help develop you. The idea is when you learn Torah, it says, we make a blessing. Asher Kiddishonu. What does that mean? That it should make us Holy. When we do a mitzvah, the idea of a mitzvah is to holify us, to sanctify us, to spiritualize us, to refine us. And that's what it can do if it lets it into your heart. So that's what I'd like to share with you first and foremost, that next time you have an inspirational experience, vayishma it, really understand it, let it in and change your life as a result of it. You get that epiphany to care more about your parents, make that difference. You, you, you get that epiphany to be a better, better in relationships, be better. You get that epiphany not to speak bad about people, then make that difference, genuinely make that difference. Antonio, I'll try and maybe come to your question at the end if that's all right. So that's Vayishma Yisro. He made a change and that's why we say probably the most important Jewish prayer, Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, we actually say, Hashem, I'm not just intellectually knowing you exist. It's touching my heart and soul. I feel you, Hashem. I feel you. I'm connected to you. I'm prepared to transform my life for you. That's Shema. That's the power of Shema. It's the most powerful prayer. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. It's the first prayer that, that one must do. Prayer number one. And I'd just like to tell you a brief story about Shema, about a great rabbi called Rabbi Eleazar Silva, who passed away in the, in the month of Shabbat. Um, and he goes like this. A story happens in 1945, after the Holocaust, Rabbi Eleazar Silva, with actually another rabbi from London, Rabbi Grunfeld, went on a hunt 
to find Jews. During the Holocaust, a few Jews were, Jewish babies were put in different monasteries and different churches around Europe and their lives were saved. But then they wanted to come, Rabbi Silver wanted to come and find his Jewish sons and daughters again. He wanted to let them know the Holocaust is over and if they want to come back to Judaism, they can come back. And often when he would go in to some of these monasteries, he wasn't getting the best reaction. He was like, no, no, there's no Jews here. There's no Jews there. So Rabbi Silva had a, had a word with Hashem and said, Hashem, what is the way do you feel I can get? I can find out who's, who's the Jewish boy and girl. Who's a young little Jewish boy and girl? And he came up with the following idea. He asked, he called them back and said, I need to come at night, just when they're going to bed. And as he was go they were going to bed, Rabbi Silva kind of forced his way in there and said, I just need to see them with my own eyes. And he went initially, this is what he did, Rabbi Silva. He went, there was one famous place in France, a monastery in France, and he, where there was all these kids there, like an orphanage. And he went in there and all the kids were standing by their beds. And Rabbi Silva said the following, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Eloikeinu, Hashem Echad. And this little boy in the corner said, Mommy, this other little girl in the other corner said, Daddy, and there was tears in some of their eyes. And that was his way of being able to filter out the Jewish people from the orphanages by Shema Yisrael, because everybody before they go to sleep, however traditional you were, they were still taught before the Holocaust to say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And he said this power of Shema, this, the word Shema, which literally Yisro is connecting to, which means let it touch my heart. And it's touched so many of our hearts. And that's a prayer and a mantra that we need to never get bored by saying. Every time we say Shema, we should try and go deeper and deeper. In fact, many mystics, when they say Shema, they go through a meditation where they're just feeling that total oneness of Hashem and they get to Hashem Echod, Hashem is one. They get to a place of there's nothing else. It's not that God is one, but not two or three or four or five. It means God is one and there's nothing else out there. So try that next time you say Shema. Say Hashem Echod and just Understand everything else is almost an illusion. It's almost like a computer screen. It's virtual reality. The only thing that really exists is Hashem. That's the only thing which is really one. It means everything. And there's nothing outside that everything. And we are, thank God, a little bit of God's soul within that everything. And these are some of the meditations that you can come up with when you say the Shema. So that's the first thing by Yishma Yisro. Next. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in this week. And it's the following. It says that just before we got the Ten Commandments, just before we got the Ten Commandments, it says we encamped by the mountain. But there's this amazing line. My dear friends, do you know how many Jews there were? Go on, write it in. How many, how many Jewish people witnessed the Ten Commandments? How many men? How many women? How many kids? We know the answer. Anyone like to write it in? Drum roll. And the answer is 600,000 men, 2.4 million women and children. So there was 3 million of us. 3 million Jewish people ready to get the Ten Commandments. And yet the Bible says, Vayichan Yisrael Negadahar. The Jewish people encamped by the mountain. And yet 
Those three million people were called and he encamped. It doesn't say Vayachanu and they encamped. It says Vayichan and he encamped. It's most amazing, Hashem tells Moses to take the Vav away from Vayachanu. Just say and he encamped, not they encamped. Do you know why, my dear friends? As Rashi explains, because at that moment, we reached a moment of Ke'ishechad Belevechad. One man, one heart. At that moment, three million people became one. That, explains Rebbeim Shmulevich, Rosh Hashim Mir, is the prerequisite for getting the Torah. You want the Torah? We have to be united. If God's people aren't united, Hashem is like, I can't really have the best relationship with you. You get to that level of total unity, miracles can happen like no, nothing else. And we're going to see the miracle of the Ten Commandments where God himself speaks to the whole world. But it only happened as a consequence of, and he encamped. And, and we see even more that we're taught the second temple was destroyed as the Talmud because of Sinat Chinam. Nice to see you, Tina. Baseless hatred. Baseless hatred. Because we didn't get on with each other. Explains Rabbi Desla that if you want Mashiach to come, if you want to end this exile, this galut, if you want there to be unity in the world, first and foremost, the Jewish people need to be united. We need to go from sinat chinam to abat chinam to base this love. And what I want to share with you is just something which is kind of breaking my heart at the moment. All around my social media, and, and because I'd love to interact with you and, and reach out to you and, and, and share wisdom with you, I'm on social media. And I'm seeing out of the corner of my eyes some really sad stuff. I'm seeing Jewish people attacking Jewish people. And yes, there's a big problem in the ultra-Orthodox world. There's a big problem in the ultra-Orthodox world that some radicals within them aren't abiding by social distancing. They're not abiding by common sense. To be honest, they're not abiding by Jewish law, which says you've got to protect life. You've got to preserve life. You can't do something where you're risking someone dying. You're risking killing your friend's granny by not abiding by social distancing. So Jewish law, which says more than anything, preservation of life comes first. Tragically, there are some within the ultra-Orthodox world that aren't doing it. However, with that said and done, what I feel is so counterproductive and doesn't help one jot, and I think makes it 10 times worse, is that when someone writes and comments about it on social media, and says how disgusting it is, that can lead to a torrent of abuse of people that don't, Jewish people that don't like Jewish people, all of a sudden, a lot of hatred's coming out, and just one, and it can be hundreds of comments of hatred and anger, and that is the last thing Hashem wants. If you want to, and you say to me, but I have to stand up for it, we have to make a difference, that doesn't make a difference. Do you think the Haredi world, the people that aren't abiding by social distancing or are looking on Facebook now and seeing your comments that, oh my gosh, as a result of your comments, I've got to change my behavior. No, they're not. If you want to change someone's behavior, you know, I've got a good student of mine who's a leading doctor in London and he is so sad that there's certain elements within the ultra-Orthodox world that aren't keeping to it. So he said, I want to do something about it, meaning he wants to maybe go to one of the leaders of that community, take them around the hospitals, make a difference that way. That can make a difference. What can't make a difference is airing your dirty linen in public. What can't make a difference is just if you put a, a hatred comment on Facebook or Instagram, especially Facebook, 
which leads to hundreds of, or Twitter, hundreds of hateful comments, that's not going to change the situation. So my point is, if you want, if you don't agree with something, then speak to someone privately. It's one of the big problems of social media. You, it, it, it's literally a Lotion horror cesspit. You put something out there, you're embarrassing people in public, and you, it's not productive. You've always got to say to yourself, if there's something you don't like and you want to do something about it, you've got to ask, by me doing this, what good is going to come? So in my opinion, if someone does something to upset you, speak to them privately, individually. If I ever upset you, for you please come, don't put it on Facebook that Rabbi Hill said X, Y, Z. Just message me privately and say, Rabbi Hill, why did you say that? Why have you done that? And then I can talk to you. And then if you're right, I'm happy to say sorry and won't do it again. And that's the way we need to learn how to be, not this outing people in public, which only exacerbates and is creating the most terrible disunity. And Hashem hates it because what Hashem wants more than anything is for his people to be united. It's his family. And the way I'd say, if you see something where someone's doing something that you don't approve of, first and foremost, think if there were members of your family, if it was your actual brother, your actual sister, would you have the same hatred? Would you have the same anger? Would you be outing them on social media in the same way? I really hope not. But here's the news for you, my dear friends. There's about 14 million Jews in the world right now. We're one family. Doesn't matter if you're Reform or Liberal or Mazorti or Orthodox or Haredi or Yemenite or Temanite or Karlabach or whatever it may be. We're all brothers and sisters. And, and we should care about each other as much as we care literally about our own brother and sister. And for my dear non-Jewish friends who are watching, really we need to extend that and the whole of humanity is all part of the oneness of Hashem. And we need to learn how to have that respect and love <clears throat> for everybody. But I really feel strongly about this and for those people out there that are thinking of, oh, I'm going to add to the avalanche of criticism of certain sects of the community by putting stuff on your Facebook, please don't. Please don't. And I'm happy if you want to speak to me privately about it more if you don't agree with me. But I'm saying from this pasuk, it says, Vayichan Yisrael Negedahar, and he encamped. We need to learn how to be one. And if only we could be as a people caring about each other with baseless love, total unity, Mashiach would come. A penny of coronavirus would end immediately. That's what's needed more than anything. And what we're doing is we're just making it worse. In fact, the Kedushas Levi, Rebbe Yitzchak says there's a line in this week where Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu when he's on, he's getting the Torah, he says, Leich raid, go down to your people. And the Kedushas Levi says, and that's a beautiful lesson for all of us. If there's people in the world that are doing things that you don't like, you don't approve of, you don't agree with, Leich raid, get off your pedestal, get down with the people, don't be judgmental, put yourself in their shoes. And have unity. Get down. God told Moses off. He said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you're being a bit too aloof. Get down. Get down from your pedestal, mate. Get down. Get down. Go down. And we need to learn to go down from our pedestal. And the way I always like to put it, we should learn to never look down at anybody, but look up to everybody. And we need to do that. And if you say, oh, they don't deserve to be looked up to, why not? says in Ethics Our Fathers, give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And for everybody, there's something that we can learn something from if you just look hard enough and closely enough and with enough love. So that's part number two. Part number three, 
Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. So I want to share with you something before we get actually into the specifics of the Ten Commandments. What is faith? What is faith according to Judaism? And I put on my Instagram, do we do even blind faith? So let's just try and understand this a second. What's up, Imogen? We do, this, this is what we do. We don't do blind faith in the way that people normally perceive it. You might as well join a cult. Judaism isn't a cult. Spirituality is not a cult. It's a very logical, rational process. Emunah, as Rabbi Tatz explains from his Rabbi, Ramesh Shapiro, actually means in the Torah, faithfulness, loyalty. But as the Rambam says, the first phase is to know Hashem. We have a journey of knowledge. And my dear friends, this is why when Hashem gave the Ten Commandments, he gave it in a very unique way. Let me tell you a bit of background, a little bit about moi. So today I speak to you as a rabbi when I was about 15 and 16, I was offered trials to go and play for a premiership football team at that time called Arsenal. Because I loved football and football kind of was my thing that I did growing up and, and I loved it and I, I you know, could have gone professionally. And, and I had this dilemma where Coach Hackett said, I've got you trials with Arsenal. I want you to go and, and go for these trials. And I said, I'm an Orthodox Jew. How's that going to work about Shabbat? In Italy, maybe, because I can play on a Sunday, but in England, I'm not going to break Shabbat for, for football. What would you do? You know, if you were offered millions to break Shabbat, what would you do? So for me, it was a no-brainer. And it was a no-brainer for the following reason. Listen to this. When God gave the Ten Commandments, when God gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't give the Ten Commandments to Moshe and say, Moshe, tell the Jewish people. Because then someone could have said, and let me give you the answer based from the rabbi called the Kuzari. Rabbi nice to see you, Belinda. The Kuzari explains, how do we know? And the famous story of the Kuzari is, was he was the king of Khazars, went and had a debate between Christianity and Islam and Judaism, which is the true religion. And they all went and gave their evidence. And this is the evidence that the Kuzari gave. And listen up, and it's based on this week. In chapter 20, it says, Hashem said the whole Ten Commandments initially to the Jewish people. Three million people heard God speak. Again, normally a religion. You know, I highly recommend if you're interested in this topic, you go to one of another of my mentors, Rabbi Kellerman, on, on YouTube and you look up his talk or simpletoremember.com is a really brilliant website in which his talk of called Permission to Receive. How do we know that the Torah took place and the way he puts it when he was doing a master's in Harvard, he was a professor in Harvard, he was asked to do a comparative religious study. There's 165 religions, he concluded. Interesting, right? Is when you take out what the definition of a religion is, Rabbi Kellerman concluded there's 165 religions. 164 of them begin with essentially one person saying, God spoke to me. I had a revelation from God and this is what God said to me. And then his followers believe in the revelation that that private person said. 
But in Judaism, it doesn't say that. It says in the Bible that God revealed, not to one person, didn't reveal himself to Moses or Abraham. He revealed himself to me and you, each one of us, three million people, every single Jew that was alive, all heard Hashem. And, and the mystics explained because of reincarnation, we were all there. The roots of all the souls were actually at Sinai. So all of you who are listening to me now actually also listened to Hashem at Sinai. So Hashem came out to everybody and spoke to everybody. In fact, actually what happened was the following. First of all, Hashem said, Hashem said something which really wasn't understanding, but that something contained the whole Ten Commandments, but it wasn't very legible. Right, it couldn't be understood. So then Hashem went and said, number one, I am Hashem your God who took you out of Egypt. Number two, don't worship other idols. By then, the whole Jewish people were attaining the level of prophecy without being prophets. We couldn't cope with it anymore. We're like, okay, we get it. We hear you, Hashem. We know you're there. We know this isn't a dream. We know there's not some charlatan charismatic cult leader trying to sell us something. We know you're there, but we can't continue anymore because this is too much. We're not the level of a Moshe. So can Moshe Rabbeinu now take over from commandment number three? And we're taught that from commandment number three, Moshe took over. But the first two commandments, and prior to that, with, it, with a certain communication, everything was revealed. And then it was specifically the first two commandments that we got from Hashem. And why this is incredible and a game changer is because how do you make that up? If let's say you have like, I hope there's no one in Scientology watching now, so you're not going to get too offended, right? But within Scientology, if you think about it and, and listen to how it all started, you know, with Ron Hubbard and, and, and with all due respect, the, the, the very, let's say, illogical story, you've really got to be, it's going to be hard to rationally explain that that really happened. And there's zero proof and there's zero evidence. But with Judaism, you have all the evidence in the world because it was an event which was a national revelation. It wasn't, by the way, just a national revelation. It was a world revelation. You know, just like the world saw Joe Biden be inaugurated. The world saw the Ten Commandments. The world saw it. The whole world stood still and saw it. It was a world event. So for sure it must have happened. And if you say to me, no, 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 no. Anyone who's like super intelligent and, and is a bit of a Bible critic and knows the next argument, the next argument is, okay, we know there's national revelation in the Bible, but there's one way to fabricate it. The world trembled, Imogen, because it was too much. There was too much gavura. It was, it was the real Hashem coming out. It was, it was Hashem's got two sides to him, the, all the love, but then a lot of what's called justice and truth. And when we connect that, it's actually kind of petrifying. I get a bit, I tremble, Imogen, when I see my rabbi, Rav Hillel. I literally, I'm, I'm nervous because he's a great Kabbalist. He looks at me, knows my whole future, my, knows everything about me, sees my aura. You feel Hashem's presence when you're with him. You tremble. You know, you tremble a bit on Yom Kippur. Can you imagine that moment when Hashem kind of comes out and says, hi guys, it's me. It's Hashem, normally he's playing hide and seek, and he actually comes out the hiding behind the tree and says, it's me. Oh my gosh, you tremble. Of course you tremble. And we specifically trembled because we really weren't worthy of receiving that light. Our vessel wasn't strong enough to receive the light. And it started shattering, to be quite honest. 
and really we couldn't continue. The, the vessel was shattering and we had to beg Moshe Rabbeinu to take over. But the Bible critic might say, no, no, you can make up this story. You know, the way to do that is the following. To say that this is what happened. There was a national revelation. But then if you can't prove it. So, for example, if I was to say your grandmother comes from Ethiopia. So if you're Ethiopian, you'll say you're right. But if the ones that people in front of me that I can see from Imogen, Ariella and Belinda, you might say, no, no, no. I know my grandmother and she didn't come from Ethiopia. And if I say your great grandmother comes from Ethiopia, you know, and your great great. But if I go so far back, maybe 20 generations back, you actually don't know for sure one way or the other. So what the Bible critic does is he says some committee of people, some charlatans, some cult leaders gave this book, the Bible, to a group of people pretending that there was a national revelation. And it happened so far or back in time, you couldn't work it out one way or the other. That's the issue. How do you get out of that? How can you prove that this is true? How can you prove that that's not what happened? That someone didn't go to a lost tribe, a nomadic tribe in the Middle East and said, let me share with you, let me reconnect you to your roots. How do we know that didn't happen? And the reason we know that didn't happen, my dear friends, is the books behind you. And the reason why I'm an Orthodox rabbi speaking to you today, I know 100% the Torah is true, 100%. Faith is not blind faith. Faith is what you do with knowledge. Faith is can you live in accordance to your knowledge. But knowledge is the, is the point that we know the Torah to be true. Why? Because there's national revelation and there's no missing link. What Rabbi Kellerman likes to say is when he has this debate about how do we know the Bible's true, he likes to be up against five Bible critics. So when he goes on to debate, maybe in Yale or Harvard, he goes up against five Bible critics and at a certain point he says to them, you tell me, so who made up the Bible? And any of you who might have friends or, 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 or you're in, interested about this and you're like, no, no, the Bible was made up. So then you've, what you've got to do to me, message me, tell me who made up the Bible and in what year? And I'll prove to you they didn't. Okay, pretty simple. And, and I'm willing, if you're right, I'll, I'll take my couple off and I'll, you know, go back and I'm not going to play for Arsenal anymore because I'm overweight. But um, uh, maybe I'll go and take up golf and try and be here. Do you know, in other words, I'm, 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 our job is to be truth seekers, but I know 100% you won't be able to be because I know the timeline. And the timeline is very briefly, Adam and Eve, we have 2,448 years of this book. So the book, the Old Testament, takes you through till Moses' death. And here's the thing. It's not that there's a gap. There's no gap. After Moses dies, Joshua takes over. And after Joshua, Isaiah takes over. And we've got this amazing book that's right behind me. And it's called the Tanakh. And the Tanakh gives you the Old Testament from the books of the prophets and the books of the scribes. And it takes you all the way through to Second Temple times. You know that? It takes you through to Second Temple times. So now we have, in written form, an accurate tradition of Jewish history till the Second Temple. I guess what? Straight after the Second Temple... We continue writing a book called the Mishnah of Rabbi Judah the Prince. And straight after that, we write another book called the Talmud from Rav Ashi. And straight after that, we write a book called the Gaonim. And then after that, we have a book called the Rishonim, including Rashi and Maimonides and Nachmonides. And straight after that, we have a book called the Achronim, 
right? Maimonides is like 800 years-ish ago. And after that, you have the next final phase called the Achronim. And you've got great sages like Rabbi Yosef Cairo in the Code of Jewish Law and Rabbi Kiva Eger in our generation, the Chavetz Chaim, the Mishnah Bura. We don't, if behind me, I have books from year one of Adam and Eve through to Rabbi Tatz and contemporary books in 2021. No missing link, no scope for someone to say, there was a missing thousand years in Judaism, and that's where Judaism was made up and fabricated. So that's my point, that through the Ten Commandments and how Hashem gave the Ten Commandments, we know 100%, 100% that it happened. Now, Ariel is asking there, what about Nasa Vinishma? So if that's okay, we're going to be doing the Nasa Vinishma part next week, if that's okay with you. If that's okay, we'll do that next week. But in short, step one is knowledge. If you don't have the knowledge, go and get your knowledge. And religion, for me, is what you do with knowledge. Faith is what you do with knowledge. And I think there's two levels of faith. There'll be a level of faith of trying to be faithful to the knowledge. But then there's something high level that Rabbi Nachman calls emunah peshutta. And I believe emunah peshutta is, which means simple faith, which means like Abraham got to the level where in his gut, in his heart and his soul, he just knew what God wants. His love for Hashem was so deep that he was in sync. He was so aligned to God. He just had, so when God said to him, go and sacrifice your son, he was prepared to, he didn't question because he genuinely had that Amunah But remember, Abraham only had that because he had the knowledge of God because God was chatting with him. They were on this incredible relationship. And that's really the relationship we all need to get to, where in our heart of hearts and in our gut, we're just so in tune with Hashem. I always often say to some of you, if you don't know what to do, if you're not sure about something in, in life and your lower self is having all these dilemmas, go to the Western Wall and start talking to Hashem and feel your gut and ask yourself the question like, is she right for me? Is he right for me? Is that job right for me? You'll just know the answer. If you're really in tune with Hashem, if you can be in this relationship of emunah pashuta, then you're going to be fine. Then you're going to be fine. So let's go on. So let's get into the Ten Commandments. The first word is, I am Hashem your God, Anochi. So let me tell you something really deep Kabbalistically, and this is, I think, very beautiful. According to Kabbalah, Anochi says that Arizal stands for honor Nafshi Kasava Yehovis, which means I myself wrote this. Let me explain. Here's the thing. God wants to have a relationship with us. Yet, A, for us to have free will, he does something called simsum. He contracts, <clears throat> creates an empty space where we can exist and free will can exist independently. Even though he's there. Because on the same point, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is everywhere. But it's hidden. Hashem's hidden. And our job is to find him. And yet, how can we genuinely have a relationship because what Hashem does is he puts a bit of godly DNA, whatever that means, into different mitzvot. And first and foremost, the Torah itself. And first and foremost, within the Torah, the Ten Commandments. So whenever we learn Torah, like we're doing tonight, we're learning Torah, this, this verse, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am Hashem your God, who took you out of Egypt. You're actually learning God. Hashem himself is within this. So if by learning it, you're embracing Hashem, explains the Arizal, this is an opportunity 
to fall in love with Hashem and be one with Hashem. That's why it says Talmud Torah Kineget Kulam, because Hashem himself is within the Torah. Hashem has managed to put some of his DNA in the Torah. One of the reasons you love your children so much is, ironically, part of yourself is in them. That's why I say when you have your own family, there's even more love for that. And therefore, our way of feeling that love for Hashem is when we learn Torah. And by the way, every mitzvah is that. In, 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 in the Kabbalah, we say a mitzvah stands for tzavtzah v'chibor, connection. Every time we do a mitzvah. So, you know, so when you light Shabbat candles on Friday night, when we put on tefillin, when we give charity, we're essentially embracing Hashem. Hashem himself is put himself within the Torah. That's why the Sefer Torah is so sacrosanct and so full of Kedushah, because almost part of Hashem himself is in there, whatever that means. And that's why the, the highest mitzvah is what's called learning Torah. And within that, there's a specific level that we need to get to called Torah Lishma, learning for the, for the ideal reason. Any one of you ever achieved that? Have you ever learned Torah Lishma? Which means you're not learning because you're bored. Or you're not learning because you're going to get money from your learning. You're learning, says Reb Chaim Velozhen, because you love the Torah so much. Or because you just love Hashem so much. You're in such a love affair with Hashem. You just, it's honey. What I'm hopefully saying to you is honey for your soul. You're just like being nourished. Your neshama is being nourished. And if you're only doing it just to have that connection with Hashem, it's the highest level. And people can do superhuman things when you achieve Torah Lishma. And I'll tell you too, my, my father, Olava Shalom. So when he was ill with cancer, especially the first time, it was a certain point I got called from the hospital. So he just had his last chemo and he was really weak and, and he really wasn't that very well. And they called me and they said, Avi, you need to quickly come. So I came to the hospital and at the front desk, they said, you've got to sort your dad out. I said, oh my gosh, like, what's wrong? What can I do? And they said, we've never seen anything like it. And I said, what? What he was doing is my dad loves teaching Torah and learning Torah. So he basically messaged his students to say, I'm not teaching in Golders Green today. I'm teaching in Sir John's Woods. Come to this address and come into the lounge in the hospital and we'll be learning there. And my dad basically, even though he was super ill, created a lounge as a yeshiva. And, and, and then there was like a waiting. One guy was in there learning, then the next, the next guy was waiting to get in. And the doctors and nurses like, what are you doing? But he had such love for Torah. In fact, that's what probably kept him alive, especially the first time, because he didn't stop. He didn't stop learning Torah. He didn't stop, he didn't stop teaching. He didn't stop teaching because even though you can be very, very sick, but when you have almost a superhuman love for Hashem, that can get you through. Absolutely, Benj, we're doing the mitzvah of learning Torah now. We better be, mate, unless you're watching football on the background. If you're with me, we're a million percent learning Torah now. You are now getting millions of rewards, millions and millions of rewards right now. Every minute you're learning. It's filling your world to come. When you get to the world to come, Benj, in 120 years, all the Torah we've learned tonight, you have access to that on the, on the highest level. So, so, the, so my dad was able to achieve that and it was amazing. What's up, Emma? How my dad was somehow, even though he was so ill, able to keep learning and keep teaching. 
one story. Second story, even more amazing story. It's a rabbi called Rav Nossam Svi Finkel, who was the head of the academy. My, my father's name was Rabbi Binyamin Hill, who taught thousands of Jews and brought many, 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 many thousands to, to, to Torah. Very, I'm in awe of him. Anyway, so and another great rabbi called Rav Nossam Svi Finkel, who's the Rosh Shiva of the, the Mir Yeshiva. He was the Rosh Shiva of Mir. I don't know if you knew, the famous biggest yeshiva in the world, the Rosh Yeshiva had Parkinson's. But he didn't just have the sickness Parkinson's on a low level, it was a very bad Parkinson's. He was diagnosed very bad. And they said you needed medication. But the medication he would have taken would have meant that he would have forgotten some of his Torah. And he didn't want to take the medication to forget his Torah. His love for Torah was so deep. He didn't want to harm it. He, was, he said, forget about it. And, and what was amazing about him, not only did he teach Torah and gave the biggest Torah lecture on a daily basis to hundreds of people when he had Parkinson's, he literally was going around the world. He used to literally fly on planes on a regular basis because he was the fundraiser as well. So he had this very old man with Parkinson's who was one of the busiest people on the planet, but his love for Torah got to such an extent that he was able to literally elevate his physical condition. One of the, the this amazing books written on him, one of his students wrote in a book that there was one class that he gave, which had more impact on him than any other. And it was the class that he, he, he stood up and then he had to sit down again. And he just wrote on the paper for a student to read out, Slicha Nesiti. I'm sorry, I tried. There was one day he was just too ill. He, could, he tried and, and, and seeing this great Rosh Hashiva pull himself up and you had to see him. And I thank God had the witness to see this very great man, but he had terrible shakes and he was having all the symptoms of, of Parkinson's. But yet he just got up every day and he just taught Torah to hundreds of people and, and changed the world. And that's the power of, of what we call Torah Lishma. So let's look finally at the Ten Commandments itself. It's not a coincidence, it's ten. You know, by the way, some people say, oh, so we only have ten commandments. So what do you mean, Rabbi, when you say you have 613 commandments? So if Sadia Gon explains, these ten are kind of the root of all 613. They are the foundations of all 613. In Kabbalah, it's interesting, you always do what's called the Mispah Katan, the small number. You add up the letters together. So one zero obviously is one, which is obviously Hashem. But even six one three, six plus one plus three comes again to ten, which comes to one plus zero. So really six one three is almost the output of the input of the of the Ten Commandments. So commandment number one is I am Hashem your God who took you out of Egypt. Ask Nachmonides, why doesn't it say I am Hashem your God who made the world? If you would have thought mitzvah number one is belief in God, why doesn't it say Anybody got an answer? This is a question for you, my dear friends. Like, I love some interaction. Give me an answer back. Why does it say, I am Hashem who took you out of Egypt? Surely it should have said, I am Hashem your God who created the world. Hashem Barosias Shamayim Va'oritz. Why doesn't it say that? Anyone like to answer? Explains the Ramban. Because Faith in God is not merely faith that God created the world. That's ABC. That's kind of no-brainer. How else do you think we got here? Really, we got here just with the Big Bang and evolution with nothing behind it. 
with no cause behind it. Anyone really objective and rational who's looking at the beginning, where did it really begin? And if you say there's no God, then you have no alternative position. Let's be honest. There has to be something greater than the world. If we have a design, there has to be a designer. King David says that's the logic in, in how we know God made the world. Just look at the world. So that's not faith. That's obvious. You could say God made the world. Now he's off doing other things, making other worlds. What's it got to do with me? But the reason it's got to do with you is because he takes you out of Egypt. And that's the point. He doesn't just, he didn't just take you in the past out of Egypt. He takes us every day out of Egypt because Egypt isn't just a location near Israel. It's a location in our mind. It's a stressed time. It's a place of limitation. Mitzrayim is a place, as we spoke about, of limitation. And it's Hashem who puts you in that place of limitation, generally, unless it's your free will, but generally it could be Hashem. And then it's Hashem who takes you out. Hashem who takes you out. He gets you out of your trouble and your stress and, and, and brings you out and brings you to, to liberation and brings you to redemption. We don't bring ourselves to redemption. We ask for redemption. Hashem helps us to get us redemption. And that's the mitzvah. It's the mitzvah called Hashkacha Pratit. Faith in God is not the God created the world merely. It's faith that God is with you 24-7, taking you by the hand, loving you from one step to the other. Every bit of livelihood that you've had in your life is because Hashem gave it to you. Every good health you've had is because look how easy it is for the world to crumble in a second. People just to be dropping dead, dying. That's because it's only Hashem who's actually gives us life. We say Hashem brings life to everybody the whole time. He's constantly giving us life. He's giving you goodness. Those of you who are blessed to, to find loved ones, it was Hashem who gave you that. So that's faith. It's faith in divine providence. It's faith that Hashem's in your life 24-7. The fact that I'm saying this to you now is because Hashem wants you to hear it. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it and you wouldn't be listening. Everything's Hashem. Free will is only in the area of spirituality, of your own small area of moral choices. But how we affect other people, that's all Hashem. And that's mitzvah number one, to believe that God's in your life 24-7 and that he's sustaining us 24-7. That's mitzvah number one. That's why it says he took you out of Egypt. Number two, not to worship idols, the, 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 the transgression of idolatry, because Hashem Echad, Hashem is one. So anything more polytheism, belief in more than one God, is alien to monotheism, and it's actually a sin in and of itself. It's not just merely you're not believing in one Hashem, you're actually taking the mick, and it's almost, almost committing adultery on Hashem, in a sense. That's number Two, number three is not take Hashem's name in vain. Four is Shabbos, the power of Shabbos, which is more about the testimony of Hashem creating the world. Five is honor your parents. Five is honor your parents, which is really interesting because honor your parents is in the first five, which is all about man to Hashem. So why is honor your parents? And that should really be four and six because the second tablet, all the stuff between man and man, teaching you that actually when you honor your parents, that's a godly mitzvah too. It's about appreciating Hashem. It's about if you show appreciation to where you've come from, then you can really show appreciation to where everyone has come from. And that's why if your parents ever ask you to do 
a sin, there's no mitzvah to honor them. You know, if your parents say, you've got to come to this non-kosher restaurant and you're now eating kosher, and they say to you, but it says in the Bible, honor your parents, you can say, yeah, but look at the small print. It says, honor your parents because you fear Hashem. So you can't honor your parents, not honoring your soul of your parents. If you do something contrary to the Torah, going against the will of Hashem, that's not honoring your parents, even if your parents think it's honoring them. The Torah is telling us that's not, that's not honoring. I had a funny story happen to me, well, wasn't that funny? I got asked once to come to court to be a witness for someone, why? Because I had a student of mine that got arrested. He got arrested, why? Because he, parents forced him, as he said, into the family business. And it happened to be the family business was the business of a brothel and um, very illegal and very against the Torah. But he was saying, Rabbi Hill, please to, you know, tell the judge that I'm honoring my parents and I'm, I'm a good man and, and I'm just doing what the Torah says. I said, I'd love to help you, but I can't say that you're fulfilling the mitzvah of honoring your parents because you're not. Because the Torah doesn't want you to do that. So just because your parents ask you to do something, they ask you to do something illegal, unethical, against the Torah, zero mitzvah. That's not called honoring them. That's mitzvah number five. Mitzvah number six, right, is not to murder. Mitzvah number seven is not to commit adultery. Number eight, not to steal. And by the way, if you think of me, I didn't steal. If you are on the phone at work, on your Twitter account at work, unless they give you permission to do that, that's stealing. If you wake someone up who was sleeping, who didn't want to be woken up, that's stealing. It's the easiest thing to steal. If you mislead someone, that's stealing. So don't, let's all think I've never stolen. Then it says, don't lie in court. And as we said, actually, when we break Shabbat, we're taught that's giving false testimony because if we break Shabbat, we're essentially saying Hashem didn't create the world. You know, basically the Kliyaka says, you've got these five and five. So actually one and six are connected, which is I am Hashem, your God, and don't murder. Why? Because if you don't believe in God and you think you're God, all of a sudden you're happy to make your own life and death decisions and it, God forbid, could even lead to murder, you know, without getting into it. But a good example, the, the, the whole debate about abortion, the Torah says that, that, that in the first 40 days, there's no human life yet, but life begins after 40 days. And after 40 days, that's not called, then it's called murder, you know, unless, you know, there's a very extreme medical situations, but generally that's something that the Torah is saying. And therefore, that's a good example. If you don't believe in the Torah, before you know it, you're going to say, Anything, you know, you can believe in euthanasia and you can believe in abortion because we don't have the principles, which is essentially our ethics and our morality always needs to be premised on what does Hashem want. That is our moral compass. Our moral compass is should be geared towards what Hashem wants. So that's one and six. Two and seven is idolatry and adultery. We've explained that. It's obvious. It's scary when we do adultery we're almost... Um, committing adultery to Hashem. Hashem just wants a relationship with you exclusively. He doesn't want to share you with anyone. Stealing is connected to not saying God's name in vain. Why? Because someone who's happy just to steal could literally go to court and in the end be saying, taking Hashem's name in vain, swearing in court. Four and nine is the point of Shabbos and giving false testimony. Because someone who doesn't keep Shabbat essentially saying, God didn't rest on the seventh day and he hasn't asked me to rest. So you're essentially denying the fact that Hashem 
created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Whenever we don't rest on the seventh, we're essentially testifying that God didn't rest on the seventh, God forbid. And finally, five and 10, there's a connection between honoring, between honoring your parents and not to be jealous and a beautiful connection because someone who shows appreciation for their parents, right? Someone who, who really is appreciative of where they come from won't be jealous because then they realize everything they have is a blessing. And that's what I'll finish off with. Why shouldn't we be jealous? Because the mystics explain, if you really believe that everything comes from Hashem, then why the heck are you looking at someone else's house, someone else's car, someone else's wife? If you were meant to have it, you'd have it. But if you've got that beautiful relationship with Hashem, do you understand everything that you get is exactly what you need to do your spiritual potential? There is zero reason ever to be jealous. And more than that, even if you have parents and those parents actually made a lot of mistakes and, and, and maybe did some mental, emotional harm to you, will still say, the Baal Shem Tov will say, but that was still Hashem. Hashem, you chose your parents. It wasn't that your parents chose you. In the spiritual world, your neshama somehow needed that challenge, that tikkun to achieve its potential. And that's why you were given the parents you were given. So everything that you're given in life is exactly what you need to develop your potential. And that's one of the reasons we should obviously never, ever, ever be jealous. I'm just looking at your questions. They witnessed the Nifty Egypt. Yeah, so now it's an opportunity to, let, to ask questions. So I wish you well, my dear friends. Thank you so much for being with me on, on the parasha of Yitro. And please God, next week, we're gonna go into Ariel's point of Nasev and Ishmael. What does it mean that we said, first of all, we will do, and then we'll understand it afterwards. That seems to be a bit of blind faith. We're going to get into that, please God, next week. But I wish you well. I wish you all that Hashem should bless you tremendously in all areas, in, in ruchness and spirituality, in good health. Oh my gosh, Hashem should, Hashem should take away this pandemic from the world. Hashem should bring all of you who are single to your soulmates. And very, very soon you should be under the chuppah with your soulmate. Please God, Hashem should bring the whole world to that oneness of Mashiach should come very, very, very soon. Thank you so much for being with me. On Now I'm doing a new talk on Sunday nights every week. You're all welcome to join me. Put it in your diaries. Um, 10 o'clock Israel time, 8 o'clock England time in America. I think that's 3 o'clock. Um, doing Masilati Sharim. We're going through part of the just of the Ramchal now. Mwah. Every Sunday, you're all willing to join me on that. There's still a few people if you want to... Um, Join the Kabbalah of Love course. We're doing a Kabbalah of Love course on a Monday night. Message me if you want to join that. The amazing Miriam is now on it. So if you want to get to know Miriam and get to know me better on Zoom, that's on Monday nights. And then please God, with Hashem's help, next Wednesday night, we'll be discussing this principle of why would we say to Hashem, we'll just do what you say and then we'll try and figure it out afterwards. That's surely the opposite of the message we said today, which is you should have a search for intelligence and try and understand things. So we're going to deal with that next week with Hashem's help. Any questions? Happy to take any questions. If anyone's still got a question, whether on Insta or Facebook. If not, I wish you well. Be in touch with me privately if you want. God bless. Take care. Thanks, Miriam.